Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm Richard Kraus. Grab yourself a drink from the kitchen and come on in and have a seat as I talk to our three very special guests. Now, first up, we have Simon Pegg and Rosamund Pike. You know her from Gone Girl and, and Education and lots of other things. And Simon Pegg, well, he's kind of a legend. He's in a bunch of big franchises, Star Trek and, and Mission Impossible, but if he had never made another movie after Shaun of the Dead, he would still be a beloved character, certainly around the House of Krause he would be. Um, I spoke with them about happiness. What makes you happy? How do you stay happy? And is being a movie star the key to being happy? Really good answers from them, so I thought we'd, uh, we'd, we'd roll this out for you now. Uh, I recorded these interviews around the time that they were talking about a movie called Hector and the Search for Happiness, which did not do particularly well in Britain. I don't know that it did all that well over here too. I kind of like this movie because I liked its quirky, upbeat tone and the way that it made me think about happiness and what really makes you happy. So then, after that, we have something that I think is going to make a lot of people happy. My conversation with Paul Gross. He's talking about his new film, Hyena Road, and the long road to get Hyena Road made. First up, though, Simon Pegg and Rosamund Pike, and we're talking about happiness and what makes you happy. I wanted to talk to you sort of just about the ideas of, of happiness. Thanks. Enjoying your socks. Oh, thank me you. Happy. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. When you have to wear suits every day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, but just sort of different ideas of happiness. And maybe it does. I mean, as Hector kind of discovers in, in the movie, there are universal ideas of happiness. But I think maybe it is individual to uh, country or continent. I mean, over here, we tend to be a little bit more... I'm happy today. Yes, and it's, an, it's, 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 it's a legitimate it's pursuit, isn't it, in mm -hmm. North America to pursue happiness? And in, in Britain, I don't know, maybe it's considered unseemly or not sort of, you know, you realise when something like this comes out that the Britons, British people can't really embrace that, you know, maybe we're not, we haven't got rid of that uptight moniker that, <laughs> you know, yes, you know, you start realising that maybe that hasn't gone so far away but maybe maybe it's that we we find it rather arrogant to think that everybody has a right to be happy or something mm. you know I don't well, know well I wonder about happiness like you know you are a movie star you're 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 <laughs> well you know, you walk red carpets you're uh, films you know so, sure. and, and I'm sure that when you were younger you thought oh, I'm going to be fantastically when I get famous I'm going to be fantastically happy maybe no I mean no. yes no but I mean it was interesting because it's a question that we have been asked you know does sort of fame and money, you know, that somebody yeah. asked us that sort of at eight o'clock this morning and it was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, you know, surely that's what people think are the ingredients, you know, to a happy life. I mean, but the point is, is we keep off, we keep seeing, sadly seeing that, you know, people with that, unless you're happy before you get those things, right. it's, it's not a recipe for happiness, right. you know, as we keep seeing from all the sad, tragic news items about people in our profession who we've lost, you know? Right, but, um, but do you think you have to experience it, though, to understand that it doesn't make you happy? I mean, to be honest, from my own personal point of view, I mean, I can enjoy a moment of success because I've known the hardness of, of failing to get jobs, you know? I mean, that's the truth, you know, that a moment, you know, right now I'm experiencing a moment where, you know, things are going particularly well, and it's particularly amusing to me or I can enjoy the ride because there is a definite contrast 
you know, in the way that I'm perceived and received and all this stuff. So, and I'm fully aware that it can go down again, you know. So it's, it's a sort of, it's a sort of, you've got to have a kind of gentle humor towards it, I think, <laughs> you know. Um, and I've, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've struggled and it's a lot of hard work. I mean, obviously the idea is of any sort of successful career is that you look like a swan gliding and right. nobody sees the sort of paddling duck feet, you know. <laughs> Um, but, um, but um, you know, there's, it's definitely there. In this interview this morning, I, um, you know, and the guy said, you know, you both obviously have what a lot of people feel is the, you know, the key to happiness. And I was just assuming that this interview was going to say children. Right. And then he says fame and money, and I was like, oh God, no. <laughs> you know, I was like, God, we really are. You know, because of course, you know, you put children next to fame and money, and there's no comparison. Yeah. Um, um, I think there's a you know getting to experience life through the eyes of a child is pretty exciting, and of course, as actors, we sort of have to do that all the time. You're a, you're a, you're a movie star, famous. You're around, and I wonder if when you were younger, you thought to yourself, "Man, you know, when I get famous, everything's <laughs> going to be great. I'm going to be really happy." Like yeah. maybe you were like totally happy kid too. But then you get it, and you kind of go, you know what? It's not the panacea that I thought it was going to be. And, yeah. and so tell me just, like, it, 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 because a lot of people would, would trade positions with you in a, in a snap like that. Yeah. But it's not necessarily a, a ticket for... No, you have to be happy in order to enjoy that stuff, you know. I mean, that, and, that, and not to be sort of... Um, to bring it up in a facile way, but Robin Williams' death is, is definitely uh, an indication of that, that you can be inordinately famous and supposedly rich or whatever and still be unhappy, you know. Those things are not the route to happiness. They're a way of, you know, if you are happy, you can enjoy that stuff. But we see it all the time in this business. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the entertainment industry is filled with deeply insecure, unhappy people, and they're, and, and they're probably looking for some kind of happiness by doing this job, you know. I find for me I have to be happy in my real life, in the real world. Um, and from there, if I'm happy there, I can be happy elsewhere and I can enjoy this job. You know, right. I've, been per I've been desperately unhappy whilst being... You know, I remember when I first went to LA to do Mission Impossible 3, I wasn't in a great place. And I, I, you know, I got there and I was... I was, remember thinking to myself, I'm in a film with Tom Cruise yeah. Yeah, yeah. and this and this and this, and yet I am unhappy, you know, and, and it's kind of... It, it was it was it was a very it was an epiphanal moment for me because I realised okay this isn't how you get happy you have to be happy before that and the funny thing is what you're saying about being a kid is that when you're a kid if you're you know if you have a normal childhood you never think about what your happiness is going to be when you get older because you're happy you know right. you, you're you're in an environment where you are utterly happy it's it's what Christopher Plummer talks about in the movie about the purity of childhood happiness you're unconditionally loved you yeah, are yeah, yeah. you know you. Don't have to worry about taxes. You're very roof safe. Over your head, yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah, exactly. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because uh, I got uh, ill last year and uh, went through, had to go through a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of treatments and things. And while I was going through the treatments, you just have time to think. You're sitting there hooked up to a thing, and yeah, and and it made me think about all the stuff that I thought would. And this is why I started with that question with yeah, you because yeah. it made me think about 
all the stuff that actually is important versus what isn't. Yeah. You know, like, it's, you know, listen, we're in a pretty nice hotel room, you know, you're going to be in a limo later, all, you know, like, whatever. Yeah. But that stuff really doesn't mean anything if, you know, in, in the larger, you know, sort of, you know, thing. Yeah. And, and for me, it became down to, like, really primal, basic things. And that was, uh, sadly, kind of an epiphany for me. Yeah, you know? yeah, that, I, I agree. Yeah. I think, you know, with this film, we... You know, people often will flippantly say, oh, well, come on, he, he's got me with Rosamund Pike, he lives in a nice house. Well, yeah. it's that's so missing the point. You yeah. know, you can have all that stuff. The point is we take the least sympathetic demographic on the face <laughs> of this earth, you know, the white middle-class yeah. male, the, the white, you know, upper middle-class male, really, and say... Yeah, in London, your house yeah, is pretty yeah. nice. Yeah, that's it's actually yeah. really in Vancouver. Uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, and say, he has a problem, you know. So the, almost like the least sympathetic... Uh, possible character you could have and 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 give him that problem because it, it just sort of um, it just goes to show if, if, if you can be there and be unhappy then anybody can be unhappy you right. know? and and it is about realizing that happiness is not some sort of you know we're constantly led to believe that we can buy happiness right. constantly I mean commerce retail it's all about yeah buy this wear this eat this all this will make you happy and none of it will it's all about you know, sh quick fixes and shortcuts, and really happiness is something you experience along the way. It's not something you—it's not something you can ever move towards. It's like chasing a rainbow; you'll never get to it. It's—it it has to happen along the way. It's part of a continuum, right. and that continuum continuum also features fear and mm -hmm. sadness and all those things because they all of them reflect back to help you understand what happiness is. You know? Yeah, I guess if yeah, if you don't know the other stuff, how do you know when you're happy? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. When, when, you know, when, like, you know, and I had a friend of mine as well recently, you know, who'd, who'd become ill. And when you, when you suddenly are given that definition of, of what your life means, mm -hmm. how fragile it can be, it helps you focus on, you know, the, 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 the example with the, the making of the movie is being in Soweto in South Africa and seeing people living on the poverty line smiling more than the people that were living in the in the affluent areas yeah. and that's because the people in the poverty line although their lives were a lot harder had a clearer idea of why they were smiling right you know it's right. kind of a and that sounds like i'm saying be poor you'll be happy it's, it's not the case but people whose lives are slightly more in question yeah are, have a clearer idea of what happiness is yeah i mean yeah i guess well the more complicated the more complicated life gets hmm. The more complicated life gets, Absolutely. you know, the yeah, more yeah. the more stuff that's around you, the harder it is to sort of wade through the nonsense. Totally. Choice, I think, is a, is a weird thing of like, we have so much choice in 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 sort of affluent Western society. We have so many TV channels. The, 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 I think TV is a really good example. When you have, I remember back in the eighties in the UK, we had four channels, right. yeah, yeah. and like you would pick something, you and you'd enjoy it. Now it's just change, change, yeah. change, and even something you would have watched back in the eighties, you think, no, there must be something better. Always, <laughs> always, always. And you wind up with this just sort of indecision and malaise, and you never watch anything, and you you end up unhappy. Yeah. Whereas if you actually settle for something, you choose it uh, because your choices are limited. You tend to be a little bit more content. Yeah, I I'll buy into that. Yeah, I will buy into that. I think. Um, you know, just the idea. What, what what occurred to me when I was thinking about this, and this is what the movie sort of made me think about. It was you know, was uh, that the, uh, that we overburden ourselves. I think in a lot of ways with things that we don't need to, but become desperately important to us. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and or, or we think that they're desperately important to us. Totally. And what I realized, you know, was that they weren't. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it made honestly, it's made a huge difference. Absolutely, <laughs> they say, but you know, burn your house down. Yeah. All the things that you cling to, 
which you think you need and you think make you happy probably don't you know yeah. I think as animals we're kind of on, an, on, a, on a basic evolutionary scale we're we're built to kind of survive and we've because of that we've we've accumulated all this junk around us to make life easier and it's actually upset our body chemistry you know we're not as we should be in the wild right. you know? yeah, yeah. we're not living hand to mouth we're not yeah. we're not fighting to survive and so we wind up this sort of odd zombie-like anesthetized species that are just walking around trying to find why we're not happy you know it's a, it's a, it's a strange condition yeah, and living to 105 yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know <laughs> who wants that i know i know it's that, a very odd that, thing. i think that's another thing that i realized it was like you know what i don't think i want to live until 105. You know? I hear you, I know. And the, the, the key is, is always, whatever time you have, it's to make the most of that. That was Simon Pegg and Rosamund Pike talking about happiness. Again, recorded around the same time that their movie Hector and the Search for Happiness was coming out. That movie didn't make a lot of people happy, but I liked its quirkiness. I liked its quirky look at what happiness means to different people. Next up, Paul Gross. Paul Gross stops by the House of Kraus to talk about the long road to getting his movie, Hyena Road, made. Now, he needs no introduction, uh, especially if you're a fan of Due South, if you're a fan of Men with Brooms, Slings and Arrows, any of those things means that Paul Gross has been part of the fabric of your very Canadian life for a very long time. His new film is set in Afghanistan and was actually inspired by some trips that he made to Afghanistan. Here's my conversation with Paul Gross. Nice to see you. Now, I've been uh, interviewing you for years mm -hmm. over the course of a lot of different projects. Hyena Road, which we'll talk about in depth in, in just a few minutes, uh, is a much different kind of project for you, it feels like. Um, it has tentacles that reach back, I think, into Passchendaele, and, which was very much a passion project for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that this movie feels like a logical offshoot for that, but it, it's not Men With Brooms, which uh, played it for laughs. It is not that there are lighter moments in this film, but it is a serious film about our soldiers in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the odd thing about it, I mean, I suppose I could look, I look upon it now and I as we're finishing it and seeing it, and I think, oh, that is sort of the polar opposite from uh, Passchendaele in, in terms of a war film. And, and I think Passchendaele was partly the way it was because it was, a, it was the bridge between a romantic period and the modern era. Right. Uh, and I think that Hyena Road is really sort of postmodern and that it's the nature of warfare contains almost no romanticism any longer. It's very complicated. It's... As one of the characters says in it, there's just no winning. There's just an end state. And I think that when I first went to Afghanistan, because I was invited to go, you know, they have groups of people go and visit the troops. And I was just mesmerized by the complexity of it. And it was absolutely nothing like what I had been told by the press, or let alone our government, or governments. And <clears throat> so I thought, well, I should go back with a camera team, because they were talking at that point about pulling out of combat operations. And I didn't have a story in mind, or even really the intention to make something, but I thought it would be a good idea to film it. And it was written really by the soldiers in a sense because I would sit down and talk with them. We didn't have a lighting package, so at night right. we would sit around. And soldiers are soldiering is actually kind of boring. It's really hours of boredom interrupted by moments of blind panic. It's like being an actor on it's set. It's like being an actor. You, you, you wait, you, only you, an actor you, isn't you know going to get killed. Their lives, yeah. <laughs> um, and if, and they would just talk, and I would pick various guys, and they would tell me their crazy stories, and I would sort of jot them down and it's out of that actually the story emerged so I didn't really nothing in it is 
kind of actually mine. The assembly of it is mine. Right. And that includes the characters. All of the characters in it are based loosely on people that I met or composites of people that I met over there. And so it has a kind of, even in its construction, it's very different from anything else I've done before. And I think, in part, I think that's why I like it, because it's surprising to me still to watch it, that I think the events happen without a great deal of writerly signaling, if you know what I mean. Right. I mean, we're, we, you know, the problem with writing right now on film is a lot of people are falling into the trap that also exists in television in some ways to a greater extent on network television where you, you know, you're signaling everything and then you're tying it out neatly at the right. end. And this one just has a sloppier kind of feel to it, although it's very deliberately so, but it's because I didn't structure it in so in such a way that I have in the past. So there's something about it that is a departure, I suppose, in a lot of ways, but does kind of, as you say, reach back to earlier things. War films are hard to make. They're hard <laughs> to get made. They're ridiculous. So you make one, and then you decide to jump back in and do it again? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I was thinking. Well, I think, you know, it kind of partly, I suppose it came out of the footage that we had, because we, we went back... We were there for a couple of weeks, but very deep in the war zone. Mm -hmm. We were in a forward operating base called Spurwin Gar, which is deep into the Horn of Panjway. And we were out on foot patrols and tank runs and artillery and helicopters and just photographing stuff. And, and I thought, well, we have a template now that we could possibly attempt it. So I'd finished the script and I gave it to Neve Fitchman, who's my uh, partner in this, a uh, producing partner. And Neve was just furious. He said, why did you have to do another war film event? He read the script and he said, oh, damn you, it's good. Now yeah. we have to make it. So, yeah, they're always a struggle, but there is something, there's also something kind of wonderfully satisfying about reaching just a little bit too far, but actually managing to, to get it off the ground. And, and the shooting of it was, the filming of it was just blissful. It was, it was fantastic fun. I mean, tough work, but mm -hmm. it was really fun. What was it about the experience of being there? You've met the soldiers, feet on the ground. Uh, what was it about that experience that brought you in and made you want to come home and write a script about it? And for years. I mean, this has been, we're not talking, this didn't happen two weeks ago. You know, no. this, was, this is something you've been working on for some time. Now. Yeah, four years. It's yeah. a lot shorter than the 12 years of Passchendaele, but right. still, <laughs> I would really be terrific to be able to have an idea and get something going in a couple of years. Um, I think it was... It, it really was the soldiers themselves. The the, it's it's hard to describe what it's like to be around them in the area in the the arena they're working in. Right. This arena that is fantastically dangerous and just insanely complex with multiple layers of agendas that don't necessarily sync up, even in, with the people that you're working with. And I think I was so impressed with their ability to absorb all of that and continue to do a job with great restraint, great professionalism. They represent us with enormous dignity and we should all be very proud of them. Regardless of what you may think about yeah. the mission, whether it was good or bad, or yeah. it's kind of immaterial. I think what we have asked them to do is really an astounding challenge and they handle it with grace. And I, th I felt like we owe them a little something. You know, this conflict has run on longer than the f First World War, Second World War and Korean combined mm -hmm. in terms of Canada's involvement. And I think very few of us have any idea what it is we were expecting or asking of our fellow citizens. You know, these are our neighbors, and we just toss them into these conflicts, and we have no idea what they're about. Well, exactly. I was just going to say, in the film, your character is someone who seems to have the most understanding of the nuances of what's going on. 
mm-hmm. and you, blows it. And blows it. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to give anything away, but <laughs> but but he, he has an understanding of the nuances. But that he blows it, though, speaks volumes. He's the one who understands, really, what's yeah. going on, yeah. and yet it, it eludes him right at the very end. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the whole... The, I, you know, I, where... Where I thought, oh, we should try to do something with this, or I should try and do something, is that it was a moment when I was out on a foot patrol the first time I was out, and we were in a little village, and there was a shura, so this, which is a meeting, and everybody sits in a circle in one of the grape fields, and there were some Afghan elders, and there was uh, an Afghan National Army guy because it was a cooperative uh, base at that time. We were training the Afghan National Army. And there was uh, a translator, <clears throat> and then there was our, I think he was probably a corporal, it was the Van Dues, was the battle group then. Right. And this guy was probably about mid-20s, maybe 25, and it's like the Tower of Babel, and his accent is very thick. And I had a hard time understanding it, so I'm pretty sure his translator didn't. And the elders are all talking at once, the Afghan National Army guy's talking at once, and I was watching our this corporal trying to follow it and I thought this is this is a fantastically difficult undertaking mm-hmm. we're asking a young man to not only be relatively good at leading a you know small number of soldiers but we're also asking him to be the leading edge of our foreign policy and I thought this is we don't understand what what it is that we're expecting of our troops and what we expect them to accomplish in terms of foreign policy and so when I hear politicians talking about flinging people back into combat, say, in the Middle East with ISIS and Syria, I think, well, just hang on a second. We, don't, we, we didn't understand Afghanistan. And I, I think we have to at least have some kind of sense of what we're expecting people to do. And then my, beyond that, my, my real interest, I suppose, the deeper interest is in what it, what it, when we do ask them to do this, the cost it exacts from them is, is enormous. And I think we have to understand why there are such things as operational stress disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder and how it affects families. And, you know, it's quite a significant problem. And, and I think the Canadian public has largely been deliberately kept fairly ignorant about that. Maybe that's the next film. We follow yeah, these I could same make a characters. Trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a war film, though. It would be at no, home. It would be at so. home, yeah. Did you have uh, people from the Canadian military working on set as advisors? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think I, it's it's easy, fair to say, or very accurate to say, that this is absolutely authentic, that mm-hmm. all of the radio language, the activities they do, the, the, the various protocols they go through in their uh, soldiering is all exactly what they do do. This is what the war actually looks like. Right. Um, and it's been very satisfying to have a lot of veterans come and see it. And it, some of them, it's it's disturbing because it triggers memories of unpleasant things. But uh, everyone has said, no, you've got it. That's what it is. It takes place both inside and outside of the wire. Mm-hmm. right? And, and I found that the, the stuff inside... Uh, was really interesting in a world that we don't really get to see, the command centers, the places where no guns are being fired, but decisions uh, are being made. And that's sort of where we first meet you, meet your character. And right. uh, I thought it was really interesting to get a good close-up look at that. Yeah, it's such a, it's an amazingly, it's a fascinating world to be a, have been allowed to mm-hmm. be inside of. Um, and I have to say, you know, the CF was extraordinary. They, they had no in, interest in reading the script or vetting it or, 
having any kind of creative input or approvals. They just feel that what they do, they do with honor, and therefore, you know, they would allow me to have a look at it. And they were spectacular in terms of support when we needed sort of heavy fighting equipment and things you can't rent at, mm -hmm. you know, Avis or whatever. <laughs> and... Uh, and and the advisors were all wonderful, um, <clears throat> and we were really scrupulous. I mean, if a, a sniper advisor said, no, you'd never have such and such here, then we would not have that until right. he would sort of sign off on it. Um, but to be inside the, that's what I was, I guess, to just go back to talk about the layers and the complexity of, the, of this modern warfare, because what was going on in Afghanistan is essentially what modern warfare is now, this counterinsurgency, which is just unbelievably obtuse kind of obscure sort of terrain that people work in um you know we have they call it eyes on the battlefield there are from satellites down to AWACS down to fast jets to drones to zeppelins that are up above the uh, battlefield to observation points all of these have cameras on them everything is being watched everything's being listened to and the enemy is running around in flip-flops and a you know, and what they call man jams. Yeah. The, the inability to know who your enemy is, the inability to know who your, your collaborators are, to know whether or not what they're telling you is, is actually the truth or not. It's, a, just, it's like being in a gigantic, constantly blowing up Le Carre novel. And I don't know how we're supposed to, you know, muddle our way through it. I mean, muddle it, they do. And I think that but that's one of the problems with the warfare is that it doesn't, there is no end state. We don't come to a point, there, we won. You know, a, a memo will be issued saying the mission is over. Congratulations. Well, that's it. That's all. That's all the time we have for the House of Krauss this week. My thanks to Simon Pegg. My thanks to Rosamund Pike. My thanks to Paul Gross. Hyena Road is playing at a theater near you. Check it out. Most of all, though, my thanks to you for coming by the House of Kraus every week. We put up a new show every Monday, so keep coming back. Come back and visit us, because you never know who's going to stop by for a visit.